And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And I have to apologize a little bit. I'm going to be uh, kind of fighting these headphones. I've got different headphones today, and I can barely hear myself. So we'll muddle through the way we always do, right? Good to have all of you here. Hopefully you had a good weekend. I see uh, Dave and Robert in the chat. Good to see you both here. And um, if you are listening to us in podcast form, we're glad you're here as well. We are broadcasting live right now to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. The chat's open. Comments are welcome. If you're not here with us live, you can still uh, share your thoughts. We do have an email address, live from the bunker at sci fi And there is a newsletter. You can sign up for that as well. And of course, we're on so many social channels, social media channels, it's not even funny. And it actually, it actually kind of is not funny because the various different social media channels that we're on uh, are not necessarily the best uh, to to be on. So it is what it is. Now the the thing that we're uh, that we're going to talk about today, I'm, I was going to talk about last week. We had internet's uh, internet issues. So I'm going to get to that today. And it feels actually like uh, it's more appropriate today because of some things that played out over the weekend. And I'll get to that here in a minute. Just a couple of programming notes. Tomorrow will be a recorded show because I've got to step out and actually do some day job work. So we're going to uh, we're going to record one. Uh, And I'm going to talk about Capricorn One. Mrs. Boss and I watched that over the weekend, so we're going to talk about that. Then on Wednesday, author Declan Finn will be here again, and he's got a new book coming out uh, tomorrow, actually. So we're going to be talking about that on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, assuming that all of the logistics line up, uh, my, my son James will be back in. Uh, to talk about the next episode of Superman and Lois. So that's the plan for this week. Tonight, on uh, on the H2O podcast, we have uh, uh, at 9 o'clock Eastern, we're going to be doing our 2021 year in review and uh, talk about some various different things that happened last year. And uh, then next week, we're going to get into some some new and hopefully better topics and and uh, we'll we'll make it worth your while. We always try to do that. What about in the chat? Good morning there. It's, uh, it's good to see you as well. All right, so over over the the weekend, hello, Mazer, it's good to see you. Over the weekend, uh, I saw this play out in real time. I didn't pay. 100% attention to it, but I, you know, I was on the periphery, I'm just kind of, kind of keeping an eye on it, just sideways and, and looking in every now and again. So I didn't see all of it play out 100% in full. I didn't watch the videos, I didn't watch the responses. But uh, Jeremy Hambly over at The Quartering had some things to say about the current season of The Witcher which is based on some books and the video game and all of that. Stars Henry Cavill is Geralt, and apparently caught the attention of the showrunner, Lauren Hisrich, who responded to some of his comments and actually started a dialogue between the two of them over on Twitter. There was some back and forth and some honest conversation, but what appeared to be in earnest 
respectful conversation between the two of them. Now, whatever you may think about Jeremy over at the quartering, there are people who have opinions. But this particular conversation didn't didn't go off the rails. There wasn't a lot of angry ranting and, you know, how dare you and whatever. And Lauren Hisrich, the showrunner, she's she's the head writer. She's the one what in charge of the story over at uh, over at The Witcher. She's not some random Twitter poster or whatever. She's actually having what appears to be an honest conversation with Jeremy. Back and forth, there's questions being asked and questions being answered, and there's conversation. And somewhere along the way, some people decided they didn't like this. Some people decided, well, wait a minute, Lauren Hisrich, who's kind of the boss at the show, shouldn't be talking to Jeremy Hamlet, the quartering. How dare she give this man any attention at all? And it wasn't too long into the conversation where people, and I say people, Twitterati of a certain stripe, let's say, I'm sure a number of them have pronouns in their bios, took Miss Hitrich to task over having a conversation. A conversation. It wasn't that she was sitting there agreeing with everything that he said. And it wasn't as if he was saying anything that was too terribly offensive. I mean, it was an honest conversation. It was honest back and forth. But how dare she give him the time of day? How dare she give him the attention? How dare she give him a space for his ideas and opinions? And, of course, her response is, wow. You know, I'm trying to have a conversation here, and I get it. Some of you aren't aren't happy about it. What am I supposed to do now? And I think this is a good example of the kind of thing that we talk about when we're talking about angry fandoms. Because sometimes people are angry just to be angry. People are looking for that next thing to complain about. People are looking for that next thing to be offended by. And Lauren Hisrich stepped in it. And look, I don't know her. I haven't had any interaction with her. I don't know Jeremy. We've passed a couple of emails back and forth just, you know, just touching base on a couple of things, but there's no no nefarious plan here, no alignment either way on, on one or the other. I'm an outside observer looking at this and seeing the people who are taking her to task and berating her for talking to this sexist, misogynist, homophobic, bigot, alt-right, Nazi... Hold on, wait a minute. Jeremy's not on the left, uh, on the right. He's center left. And he didn't say anything terribly offensive. I mean, I didn't see anything. And I know a lot of people want to make him out to be this ogre of a person. But I haven't seen it. Does he say some things that'll trigger some people? Sure, but the people who get triggered by it are the people who are going to get triggered by anything. And I have a theory about that. I want to take you back a little bit to the beginnings of Tumblr. This idea of cancel culture. There's an article that I ran across, and I don't remember... Uh, it's it's in human events. Uh, Bill Hurl is the uh, is the uh, is the author of the uh, article, and the headline: Hollywood consultant admits Glee started the wokeness epidemic. The the cancel culture that we're currently dealing with, according to this guy, 
started with Glee. Now, I'm not sure that that's accurate. I've never watched Glee. I've never had any interest in Glee. It looks like a dumb show to me. I'm not into musicals that much. Really, hardly at all. But, does this... Is this accurate? Did it start with Glee? But stop to consider, though, the anger and the vituperation that's on Twitter. There's your, there's your 10-cent word of the day, vituperation. The, the anger and the maliciousness that permeates Twitter. I think has its beginnings over on Tumblr. Stay with me. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get deep in the weeds on politics and identity and all this other stuff. But there's there's something there's something here. Uh, Bezos says yes. It goes all levels of Twitter on all sides. Don't talk to them. It, I, I might stop being your friend. And I have a personal story about that. But I, I, we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, Mazur says, Glee is for those who can't stand the song by the original artist and like it repackaged. <laughs> I, I, can, I can get behind that definition, I guess. So, Tumblr... When Tumblr got started, Tumblr took off because it was a space for the shippers. The fan fiction and the fan art... And the people who are the people who don't necessarily fit in. Now, if those of you who are of an age, <coughs> you will remember that when we were kids, we did not fit in. We were the ones who were bullied and picked on. I got tackled I don't know how many times in the in the in the recess yard because I was playing Spider-Man instead of football. We got bullied. We got picked on. We were we were the outsiders because we were weird. We were strange. Our interests were so esoteric. And why do you even bother with that superhero junk? Ray guns and spaceships and pew pew and laser swords and space wizards. What does it all mean? Why is it so important to you? Why do you like that? My mother even admitted later, as, as we were having conversations when I got older, she was like, I, I, I never should have let you watch Star Trek. She had a regret that I got so immersed and so steeped in science fiction. People didn't understand it. It was not mainstream. And so we got bullied. Nowadays, however, we, you know, it's, it's mainstream. It's, it's no big deal to be a fan of Star Wars or Captain America or Superman or, or Justice League or The Watchmen or, or any of that stuff. It's all fine now because it's mainstream because it's making a billions of dollars. But there was a time, there's that little, there's that little gap of time where Tumblr became the thing. And I don't know if it's because of Joss, Joss Whedon, because early, early, early days of Joss Whedon, Buffy, Firefly, there was the Whedonverse. There was the, the message bulletin boards that were specifically for fans of Joss Whedon's work. And it's not anything new. His, his, that wasn't the very first one. I mean... Fan interactions and, and message boards and stuff had been around since the internet had been around. And before that, it was mailing lists and newsletters and things that you typed up in your garage and ran off in your mimeograph machine and you mailed out your 12, your 12 copies to the people who were paying you 25 cents or whatever. And fan fiction has been around for a long time. Slash fiction has been around for a long time. I mean, you can, I'm not going to recommend it, but you can look up Kirk Spock slash fiction and it goes all the way back to the 60s. It's nothing new. But it found a home 
on Tumblr. Now, to be clear, this is not an expert opinion. This is my opinion based on observation of the space. All right? I didn't spend a great deal of time in Tumblr. I don't understand Tumblr. I mean, I do understand it intellectually. But I don't get it. I don't grok Tumblr. But the people like us who were bullied when we were kids, we're mainstream now. It's okay. But there is always going to be that marginalized outside group that feels like they don't fit in. And they found a space in Tumblr where they could do their fan fiction and their headcanon and their slash fiction. And the not safe for work stuff. Because for a generation of people, and we've seen this, I don't know how much now, this obsession with gender and sexual orientation. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it in order to understand it intellectually that I can talk about it, but I don't want to normalize it. I don't want to popularize it because it's not normal to be this obsessed with the sexual orientation of fictional characters, people who don't exist outside of pen and paper or electronic gizmos and widgets, these people aren't real. These stories are just stories, and they're meant to entertain us. But there is a, there is a collective group of people who found a home on Tumblr to start with. And the shippers were just all over the place. And they had their space. And then Tumblr shut down the porn. <gasps> and there was a collective cry. Millions of voices suddenly cried out. We're silenced. But they weren't silenced for very long. They went to Twitter. They went to Twitter. And as we saw in that, that article from Inverse from a number, a number of uh, months ago, most of the people that are on Twitter, if they're not journalists, if they're not blue check marks, celebrities, a lot of people on tw Twitter are 15, 16, 17 years old at least within the fandom. And they're angry. They are so angry. And they're easily angered at everything. If you don't agree with them, you're evil. Robert says, I see your point about obsessed behavior, but you're familiar with the deep roots of shipping and gay coding literature. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I and like I said, it's gone, it goes back, it goes back long ways. But in recent years, it has become even more of a right-in-your-face obsession. I mean, look at what they're doing right now with Sam and Frodo. You have academics so-called, who are absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced that Sam and Frodo were a thing. Best friends. The Bible even talks about no greater love than a man who is willing to give his life for someone else that sense of sacrifice, that sacrifice of self, doesn't have anything to do with a homosexual relationship or a homoerotic relationship, but that's where these people live.
Mazur says, when something reeks of social engineering and conditioning, it's hard to ignore. Not saying I believe in that, I'm saying it's hard to ignore. It is. And you had an entire generation also that had this, this Harry Potter Twilight block. And that defines all of their reference for reality. And when things don't go their way, and the social media has exaggerated this, has exacerbated this, you should be able to get whatever you want. You should be able to think whatever you want to think. You should be able to believe whatever you want to believe. But how dare you contradict me? Hello, Sci-Fi Snob. Good to see you. The anger just sits there and waits to pounce on any, any available target. Like Lauren Hissrich. And then you have people who are angry that shows like why the last man, for example, gets canceled. Why did it get canceled? It shouldn't be canceled. It was just, it was a groundbreaking show. It got canceled because nobody watched it. Because they didn't want to, they didn't want to put, put the money into it to keep it around on a maybe. Didn't have anything to do with gender politics or identity politics or, or woke theory or anything like that. The network said it costs too much money for us to commit to it without knowing that it's going to be a hit. But the showrunner, Eliza Clark, makes it all about identity politics. That's why not any other network wants to touch it. So Why the Last Man is now officially dead, and we're trying to shop it around to see if any other network would want to take it. But after she makes it about gender identity, no smart network is going to have it. Because of all of the angst and the anger and the feelings that come with it. Why even bother with that mess? I mean, really. But people get so angry when shows are canceled. They get angry about show finales not being what they expect. Game of Thrones, last season of Game of Thrones, angered everybody because it was garbage. The ending of Lost. Again, Anger in fandom is nothing new. The ending of Battlestar Galactica's reboot. The ending of Dexter. And maybe the ending of the next Dexter. Look at the debate that continues to rage over the Snyder Cut. People are angry about pronouns, of all things. People are angry that Twitch has been hijacked by girls in hot tubs. I mean, it's, these are the things that people are angry about. And it's not just, they're not just irritated. They're not just mildly irritated or just, just put out. They're angry. The whole thing over Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Ghostbusters 2016. Let's find something to fight about today. The Last Jedi. A lot of fans are angry about The Last Jedi. I was angry about The Last Jedi. I'm still angry about, about The Last Jedi. But I'm not angry about The Last Jedi because of what it did to Luke. Although that's a part of it. What I'm angry about with regard to The Last Jedi specifically is the filmmakers, the people who are responsible for telling the story, 
disrespecting the fans. Now, there's a little bit of righteous anger that I think some people are are entitled to. When the person who sits there and says, if you don't like it, I'm going to call you names, that's, that's a completely different thing than sitting there saying, Ryan Johnson ruined my Star Wars legacy. He might have, but you still have all of those stories that you can enjoy. I go back and I watch the, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and I can watch Clone Wars. It's all still there. And my first experience with Star Wars is still in my head. And I can relive that first experience in my childhood anytime that I want to. Ryan Johnson hasn't ruined that for me. Ryan Johnson demonstrated a disrespect for the material he was responsible for. That's one. He shows a disrespect to the craft of storytelling. That's another. He shows disrespect to the fans of the franchise that made that opportunity happen for him. Uh, Cam1138, please don't sing the Firefly theme song. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Yule Carter in the chat says, uh, let's be honest, Game of Thrones last few seasons stunk. We can all agree on that. I never I, I never got past the first season. <coughs> HBO sent me uh, HBO sent me the, the, the DVDs of the first season and I and I watched them. Okay, fine, whatever. I didn't feel a burning desire to to continue. Um, I never got into Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, okay, it's a thing. It's there. But yeah, there were a lot of people that were mad about this. There are people who are angry at George R. R. Martin because he's never going to finish that last book. Now, my question. Is all of this anger worth it? Is all of this anger, all of this angst, is all of this loud proclamations on social media that we're done with fill in the blank? Is it worth it? Is it worth the energy? Is it worth the time that you invest to be angry. Now, there's a difference between not liking something. And I've decided I don't like this and I'm going to walk away from it. I'm not interested in this anymore. I'm not going to give it any more of my money. This is not for me. And you could be upset about it. You could be disappointed. I don't like the direction that this story is going. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm finished. That's, that's the one side of it. But the other side is taking to social media and loudly proclaiming far and wide over and over and over and over and over again how much you hate this thing, how much you hate what this thing has become, how angry you are that this thing has been ruined. Why do that to yourself? Now, I've talked about anger on this show before. I've talked about anger in the fandoms, and this is going to be pretty much the exhaustive edition, and I'm done after this, is my hope. But we spend so much time being angry about these ultimately unimportant, insignificant things. Because there are plenty of other things to be angry about. And I get it, 
your entertainment is an escape from all of those other things that you that you need to be angry about, that you should be angry about. The entertainment should be this way of getting away from all of that. And when that's taken away from you, you're going to be angry. I get it. Cam has it exactly right. My anger remains as hot as ever, but it doesn't mean it's at the forefront of my life. If it comes up, then yes, but I don't obsess about it. Sci-fi Snob says, my anger keeps me warm at night. You know, when there's snow on the ground and it's 30 degrees outside, I'm right there with you. I get angry when it snows. I'm like, oh, yes, But there are better things to be angry. There are more important things to be angry about. And Mazers touches on it. Aha! Here it is. Anger is also a commodity. It can be distilled for clicks and profit. This is another conversation. No, actually it's not, because that is the conversation. That is part of the conversation. Because there are people who have decided to monetize their anger. What about says it's simple. I don't watch new stuff. I watch live streams and old stuff. And I'm glad you're watching our live stream. And we're going to talk about monetizing anger after this message. From the monetization blog, stand by. This is Sci Fi for Me Radio. Punch the demon face. Just punch it. Yeah, I know it's got teeth. Punch it on the head. Like, they're always like, ah, ah, no, punch it. Like, there's a little girl whose life is in danger. Do something other than just yell. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Live from the bunker, Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hud here, along with you. Happy to have all of you with us. And it's it's one of those things where you I find myself what my challenge has always been. That I have the ability to see both sides of an argument in most cases. Not all the time. Not every time. I'm, I'm not able to really understand certain things about certain arguments. But there are times and there are certain situations and discussions and arguments where I can actually kind of sort of see where somebody's coming from if, if they don't agree with me. It doesn't happen as often as it used to. Because a lot of this stuff is silly. But it's, you know, it's out there. Sci-Fi Snob says, those of us who are older don't worry too much about that stuff. Uh, the last Jedi sucks, I'll tell anybody who asks me, but I don't let it consume my waking moments. See, and that's, that's, the, that's the thing with arguments. That's the thing with all of this. Because there are people... And, and this is a good anger management tool. Learning to let go of things. Learning to sit there and say, okay, I don't have any control over this particular thing, this particular aspect of a thing, so I'm not going to spend my every waking moment obsessing about those things which I can't control. I have conversations with my kid about this. We talk about the fact that, that he and I both have tempers. And we are 
that close to each other in temperament that sometimes we rub, the, we rub each other the wrong way and one of us goes flying off the handle. It happens. It's not something that either one of us enjoys. And we recover fairly quickly, I'm glad to say. But anger is one of those things, the, 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 the short fuse and the temper, those are things that you have to get control of, the things you have to manage. And, and there are those of us who are mature enough to recognize, okay, I have, I have a temper, I'm going to get angry about things, how do I deal with it? What do I do to get past that moment? Taking a deep breath, counting to ten and Klingon, whatever, whatever those things are. What are your coping mechanisms? And I think some of this, too, comes back to your general attitude towards life altogether. You know, I tell James, you know, because he's, he's constantly frustrated. He's like, it's just, things are just not going my way. I was like, All right, well, don't focus on the things that are going wrong. Make you a list. Make you a list of the things that are going right. And they can be little things. They can be small, tiny, insignificant things, but they add up. Focus on the positive because you're programming your subconscious. You're programming your brain the wiring to go one way or the other. Remember that story, there are two wolves. There, there, are, two, there are two animals inside. Whichever one dominates you is the one, is, it, it, it dominates because this is the one you feed. And if you continuously focus on the negative, then you will see everything as negative. If you continuously look for things what to complain about, then you're always going to be complaining because there's always something to complain about. Uh, sci-fi Snob says, I dedicate my channel to finding good sci-fi, finding new or old stuff for sci-fi fans once your favorite show betrays you. <laughs> well, and, you know, and there's still a lot of other stuff uh, that uh, is on my list of things. I mean, Capricorn One being one of them. I just watched it for the first time over the weekend. It's been on my list. It's been something I've been wanting to do and wanting to watch. I was like, okay, well, let's do this. So there's always something new. Mazur says, ruminating doesn't help. That's the hardest lesson for me to learn because I listen to both sides and consider everyone's point of view, so I cogitate a lot. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, because there are going to be other people who have other opinions, and sometimes those opinions can have an impact on what you think about something. It's not, it's not a bad thing to consider the other side of the argument, if the other side of the argument is argued logically and it makes sense and there's, and there's information to support whatever that opinion is. If you can make your point cogently without resorting to name-calling, then I don't see any reason why you why you shouldn't have those discussions and, and ruminations. Because you might you might hear somebody's other perspective. It's just like this thing with Lauren Hirsch. She's hearing somebody's somebody's perspective that, that you know, somebody who doesn't necessarily agree with her, somebody who doesn't toe the party line, who has a different perspective on Henry Cavill's role in in The Witcher and what the story is doing in The Witcher. And okay, you don't like it. You have comments. I, you've got feedback. I'm going to listen to it. And people just piled onto her. You're not allowed to have that conversation. <laughs> it's it and it's and it's one of those things where you you fully invest in things that ultimately may not necessarily be all that important. I mean, the things what going on with Star Trek Discovery and Doctor Who and 
and Marvel, you know, I mean, you've got how many, how many different YouTube channels out there are calling it the MCU and the DCEU with DC stuff. And complain all you want about identity politics and woke politics. I think we've turned a corner, possibly, maybe, maybe. You've got uh, this article here from Peter Kiefer and Peter Savodnik. On Common Sense, which is Barry Weiss's substack. Hollywood's new rules. And this gets into the whole woke culture, cancel culture. I'm not even going to propose a particular idea because I'm white and I know it's not going to be accepted. This is a really eye-opening article about the, the culture politics inside Hollywood right now. Cameron Pasha has been on the, on the show and he's talked about it a little bit. There are people internally, and there are people who will say things in private that they won't say thing they won't say out in public because they fear retaliation. They fear the angry mob. And again, this goes back to anger. What are you angry about? This article here. <clears throat> reading, reading from here. A few years ago, the editor-in-chief of The Hollywood Reporter pitched a story to the newsroom. The editor-in-chief. That's the boss. He had just come back from lunch with a well-known agent who had suggested the paper take a look at the unintended consequences of Hollywood's efforts to diversify. Those white men who had spent decades writing scripts, which had been turned into blockbuster movies and hit television shows, were no longer getting hired. Now, we predicted this. We said this was going to happen. Oh, no, it's not. That's, it's not a thing. The newsroom blew up. The reporters, especially the young ones, mocked the idea that white men were on the outs. The editor-in-chief, normally self-assured, immediately backtracked. He looked rattled. It was a missed opportunity. The story wasn't just about white guys not getting jobs, nor was it really about the economics of Hollywood. It was about the stories Hollywood told and distributed and streamed on screens around the globe every day. It was about this massively lucrative industry that had been birthed by outsiders and emerged out of lemon groves into a glamorous, glitzy mosh pit teeming with schutzpah, and broken hearts and unbelievable success stories that had made the American dream a real pulsating thing. For Americans and billions of other people who thought that if you could imagine something, anything, you could will it into being. It was a story about who we aspired to be. Now this kind of goes back to the complaints about the Academy's museum not having any acknowledgement of its Jewish roots. Have you seen any? Have you seen that? We're not going to acknowledge the people who first started Hollywood. Okay, why not? Continuing, after the meeting, a reporter approached another editor about pursuing it. The editor told the reporter to drop it. No one, he said, at the Hollywood Reporter, one of a handful of trade publications that covers the ins and outs of the entertainment industry, was going to risk blowing up their career over this. And this goes on, this article goes on to talk about the explosion of woke, the, 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 the current cultural climate inside the Hollywood machine. Not necessarily on the screens, Although that's an aspect of it, that's part of it. But internally, the idea, and we've seen it, we've seen the stories, and, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about Eliza Clark making Why the Last Man about identity politics and gender in instead of telling a good story. Story should trump everything. Story, 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 story should come first. I'm telling a story to entertain an audience. And as a result of entertaining the audience, we make money. Because we can sell advertising, we can sell sponsorships, we can sell streaming subscriptions, we can sell tie-in merchandise, whatever. 
It's successful. It makes money. That's all that counts. It entertains people. And if it entertains people and it's successful and it makes money, then we could do more. But if you're going to sit on social media and if you're going to complain and you're going to gripe and you're going to gritch about whatever and you insult half of the people in the audience who could possibly like this thing, potentially, they walk away. Mazur says, or at least be truthful with revealing the plot of the story as being political ahead of time. Well, and, and you know, in some of the marketing for things like Captain Marvel and Picard and Star Trek Discovery, they actually did just that very thing. I mean, we, we, all, we all caught the interview that Patrick Stewart did where he said that Picard was going to be all about Brexit and Trump. And how many people sat there and said, nope, not going to have anything to do with it now. <coughs> Maybe. Now your business says salty. Huh? Maybe. Continuing from this article here, Hollywood has always pushed boundaries. The 1947 Gentleman's Agreement, which confronted anti-Semitism, to guess who's coming to dinner, 1967, which tackled interracial marriage and featured Sidney Poitier, who, and, and there, is a, there is a clip that's been floating around the internet since Poitier's death where he basically takes the reporters to task. You want to ask, ask me about being black. I want to talk about all of these other things. I want to talk about my career as an actor. I want to talk about my other interests. All you care about is I'm black. Guess who's coming to the inner which tackled interracial marriage all in the family which grappled with race and women's liberation. The original run of Will and Grace did more to advance the cause of gay marriage than anything else pre-Obergefell. And then there were the villains. The vast majority, from the Terminator to Hannibal Lecter to Gordon Gecko, were uber-white. An Austrian robot, a Lithuanian, a waspy pinstripe capitalist. But it wasn't until 2015 when the hashtag OscarsSoWhite controversy engulfed the 87th Academy Awards that studio chiefs and producers really started to rethink how they did business. This gained momentum in 2016, even more in late 2017, with hashtag MeToo. Then came George Floyd. And in the summer of 2020, everything that had been happening in slow motion started to happen much faster. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the industry's central nervous system, had been founded in 1927 and now had 8,469 voting members. It had tried over the years and especially since Donald Trump's election, see, everything goes back to that, to catch up with the zeitgeist, inviting into its ranks a record number of new members who were black, Latino, women, and foreign-born. But that wasn't going to cut it any longer. And this goes into, we're going to do hiring quotas. This is where you're going to see Hiring people because of their skin color and ethnicity and gender and not their skill set or their experience or their talent. Hollywood is fighting right now and they are coming to realize, at least this article, the different people that are actually coming out and saying what we've all been saying. This whole get woke, go broke thing is not just a thing. It's not just something to say. It's an actual reality. It's you are making decisions, creative decisions, not based on creativity, not based on talent, not based on skill. I mean, Cameron Posh is a good example of that. He's a Muslim. But... He's an outspoken, honest Muslim who doesn't get into the whole woke theory. And 
when they're doing a show about Muslims, as Marvel, and he's pointed that out in in on this show even, he figured he could he could have a have a shot at it. He's a Muslim. He knows the material. And he's also a writer, and he's also a producer, and he's also got a track record, not just in Hollywood, but in science fiction Hollywood. Tron Legacy, Bionic Woman, Kings, Roswell. He's been in that. He didn't get a call. Instead, they get some documentary producer because she checks the boxes that he doesn't. And now, Ms. Marvel, the TV show, is going back for extensive, massive reshoots, we hear, to fix problems. How much truth is there to that? We don't know. We spoke from the article. We spoke to more than 25 writers, directors, and producers, all of whom identify as liberal and all of whom described a pervasive fear of running afoul of the new dogma. This was the case not just among the high command at companies like, like Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, but at every level of production. How to survive the revolution? By becoming its most ardent supporter. Best way to defend yourself against the woke is to outwoke everyone, including the woke, one writer said. Suddenly, every conversation with every agent or head of content started is anyone BIPOC attached to this. The old-timers accustomed to being on the inside and the non-BIPOC up-and-comers afraid they'd never get there were one part confused, one part angry, and 10,000 parts scared. Everyone has gone so underground with their true feelings about things, says Mike White, the writer and director behind the HBO comedy drama The White Lotus. If you voice things in a certain way, it can really have negative repercussions for you, and people can presume that you could be racist or you could be seen as misogynist. And that goes back to this conversation that Jeremy Hambly at The Quartering was having with Lauren Hissrich. You know, they want to call him names and they want to other him and how dare you have a conversation with him. The perception is that Lauren Hissrich is normalizing and is validating Jeremy's misogyny and racism and sexism. And how dare you give him the time of day? That's where we are. Why is that where we are? But things are turning. I, I, I have to believe that things are turning a corner here. Maybe. Now, down a little bit further. Another writer who, like most of the writers we interviewed, was afraid to speak openly for fear of never working again said, I get so paranoid about even phone calls. It's so scary. My close friends and my family are just like, don't say anything. It is one of those things, will I be able to sleep at night if I say anything? Getting jobs in this town is so hard, and I'm very grateful to have a great job. If there's any so-called ding on my record, that would be that would just be an argument against hiring me. This is the culture in Hollywood right now. Zach Stentz, a writer and producer who was a screenwriter on Agent Cody Banks and the Marvel movie Thor, said, now he's actually coming out and putting his name to this. He says, a really toxic thing that does happen is that agents will tell their clients, especially white clients, when they don't get a job, oh yeah, it's because they had to hire a minority writer. Stentz added, even if it's true, it's not a helpful thing to say. Cam 113 says, this all falls completely apart the second the virtue signaling is recognized as the fraud it is. I, I'm not sure that fraud would be the, the word to use, although I do, I do understand your, your application of that. But in Hollywood, 
there has always, to me at least, been one level of fake from the get-go. Hollywood is built on facades. Hollywood is built on perception. And you have... Um, you have a, a crafted, created reality that is not necessarily reflective of the actual reality on the ground. This, this kind of thing is similar to what we heard before, and we still hear about conservatives in Hollywood. We hear that there are more conservatives in Hollywood than we are aware of because they're afraid to speak out. And especially after the election of 2016, when Trump got elected president, it, it, it all fell apart. People just broke. And everybody was angry about everything. I mean, people on the left especially, but in Hollywood, the anger And, and fans are just as guilty of this. We're going to be angry at you about fill in the blank. And it's the same right or left. You're just angry about different things. says It's just like in charity fundraising where people do things to raise awareness instead of actually doing something to solve a problem. Well... In politics, if you solve the problem, you don't have a campaign issue. Uh, none of your businesses. I don't know if a conservative. I don't know if a conservative is scared to speak up counts. It's fairly cowardly. Uh, and and what about says the same thing? Conservatives are cowards unless and useless if they're conservatives. Well, it's not. At now, at now, at at this point in time, at this juncture, it's not just conservatives that don't want to speak up. It's white liberals. And and people who are looking at what's happening in Hollywood and they're not standing up and saying, this is wrong. Enough is enough. And I tell you, 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 get, you get this kind of thing and people can get angry about this and that's fine. But there are more important... This is the kind of thing where, you know, politics and, and identity and representation and all that other stuff Yes, that's something to be angry about because it impacts what kind of things go into the zeitgeist, go into the culture. Because for good or ill, for weal or woe, Hollywood will influence and reflect both what's happening in the culture. What about no? I'm I'm not I'm not talking about that that particular anger. This that actually goes to my next point. This is one side's mad at the media for inciting riots and for celebs bailing out rioters, and the other side is mad about gender pronouns and identity. This this actually comes comes into my next point about what we should be angry about. What what does it make sense to be angry about? Not not as fans. I mean, fans can be angry about things, sure. You want to be angry that Chris Chibnall was ruining Doctor Who? Go be angry. You want to monetize your anger? Then it's not necessarily about the anger. If you want to monetize what you're mad about, then it's, is it righteous anger? Because there's a difference. Opportunistic anger and righteous anger are different things. Oh, I'm going to be angry about this thing, and I'm going to get clicks, and then I'm going to get ad revenue. That's different from I'm angry at this because it's wrong. We should be angry about bad laws. We should be angry about the fact that we retreated from Afghanistan and left Americans and allies hostage behind enemy lines. We should be angry about the pharmaceutical industry lying to us about the effectiveness of a vaccine that doesn't do what they say it should do. 
We should be angry about crime waves and murder sprees because they don't want to give the money to the police anymore. Defund the police. Now, how many murders have gone unprosecuted? How many crimes have gone unprosecuted? We should be angry at the district attorneys who don't want to prosecute criminals. We should be angry about people burning down cities and rioting in the name of some too big drugged up thug who was not a martyr, who did not sacrifice for the cause. Should he be dead? No. But he's not a hero. We should be angry about homeless and, and drug addicts and people who are mentally ill living on the streets. We should be angry about this. We should be angry about veterans committing suicide in job lots. Those are the things we should be angry about. And that anger should fuel action. That's, that anger should be, this is, this is something we need to change. And you take action to change. Sometimes it's a small action. Sometimes it's a big action. But where it concerns our Hollywood stuff and our stories, all you need to do is just walk away from it. Don't buy the, don't buy the movie ticket. Don't buy the comic book. Don't buy the t-shirt. Don't spend the money for the subscription. Don't don't buy the, the novels or the, the video games. Just don't give them your money. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to make some grand proclamation. Just don't give them your money. That's the action that matters. Because if they start losing money, they'll realize nobody wants what I'm trying to, trying to sell. Go put your anger where you can do something about it. And yes, sci-fi, you're absolutely right. You can be against police brutality without supporting George Floyd. No question. There's a line that cops should not cross. What about, it says, all of those valid anger issues can be all linked to what Hollywood is doing with story and media in general. I think it's an aspect of it. I think they're connected. Uh, but I don't think there's a causality here. I have long held the belief that it's this, it's this feedback loop. Hollywood has a compressed amount of time. You've got two hours, two and a half hours, three hours to tell this story. And you see exaggerations for the sake of the story. And then people out here in the real world, they look at what's going on in the, in the movie and it's this, oh, well, then it's okay. It's okay to go to that extreme. It's okay to go a little bit further. It's okay to do this or say that. And then Hollywood takes that back, and they go back in, and they'll exaggerate it some more. And it perpetually cycles in on itself because, well, I see, I see Hollywood doing it, so, so I can do it. Yeah, Ken 1138 says cops can be wrong without turning criminals into saints. Yes, and, and, and not to get too, too deep in the weeds here for some of this stuff, but there is, there is a, a, a gray area sometimes, like, like Snob says, many of these issues are presented as binary when they're not. There are, there are no easy answers to it. But if you're angry about Doctor Who, if you're angry about Star Wars, if you're angry about what they're doing to Boba Fett, if you're angry about Star Trek Discovery, Picard being the worst Star Trek ever, if you're angry about those stories, then just walk away from those stories. Go find other stories. 
like Sci-Fi Snob says, I go look for the other stuff that you that you haven't that you haven't seen before. Read new books, watch new TV shows, find other things to put your to put your attention on. Last year, more people. I I, I ran across there was a there was a a statistic over there at Penguin Penguin Random House I think put it out that last year people bought more books than in the last, I think, two or three, four years combined. Millions. Millions of books bought and sold last year. So... Everybody take a breath. A deep breath. More than one if you have to. Make a list of the good things. Make a list of the things that you enjoy. The things that make you happy. The things that bring contentment. Anger does have value. And anger does have its uses. But it has to be used the right way. And I am certainly not one to tell you the exact way to use it. I'm not, I'm not making that claim. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor or anything like that. This is just me. This is just me mouthing off on the internet. Take it for what it's worth. But Hollywood is not full of heroes. But there are some. There are advocates for what's right and there are advocates for what's right within political spheres within cultural spheres nonprofits education there are good guys just have to find them and augment their message elevate them amplify them don't spend too much time being angry about everything. And I'm not saying the people watching this show are spending too much time being angry about everything. I'm just saying in general. Be careful what you get angry about. I will leave you with this. This is Psalms 38, or excuse me, Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. And note that anger and worry are kind of tied in together. Because anger comes from fear or loss or grief. Be careful. Take a breath. Focus on the good things. This too shall pass. And remember there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.